Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So today I'm carrying on in the series I began a few weeks ago called The Discipleship. And what we've been learning is how to become fully committed followers of Christ. We're not just talking about it on Sunday morning. We're on this big full church journey together as what we're calling the trip of a lifetime. Last week I said every ship has a name. And that's true. If it's a ship, it has to have a name. And we have a name of our ship and that name is Jesus. And he has a name above any name that is named. And we have been loaned that name and we have our identity in the name of Christ. And if we can figure that out, it's transformative in life. And then the first week I talked about how every ship has a captain and uh, how the role of a captain is so unique. Jesus said, follow me. He is the captain. We are the followers. He is the leader. And it's so important for us to understand that that's where the whole journey begins. Understanding that he is our lead. He is our captain. He tells us where to go and we go where he tells us to go. How many of you have seen that bumper sticker or maybe you have one that says this? God is my co-pilot. How many of you have seen that bumper sticker? And uh, if God's your co-pilot, there's something a little off on that. You realize that, don't you? And so someone updated it, and it goes like this. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. And, uh, and I came up with my own bumper sticker, put it on eBay, nobody bought it. It was this, if God is your co-pilot, there's an idiot driving your car. Couldn't figure out why that wasn't a big seller. So anyway, today our message is entitled, Every Ship Has a Helm. And a lot of people aren't clear what a helm is. Today we're going to find out. It is so simple. The helm of a ship or a boat is the wheel in which you steer that craft. And so you've all seen Pirates of the, the Caribbean. And so there you got Johnny Depp. Arr, Johnny, that's me boat. That's me ship, the Black Pearl. And I'm not going to be giving it to the likes of you. That's Barbosa, not Captain Jack Sparrow, by the way. And you've all seen that movie. And that's, of course, the, the wheel is the helm. And on a boat, it is called, you can call it the wheel. You can call it a helm. You may not call it a steering wheel. A steering wheel's on your car. Thank you very much. And so in specifics, it's the wheel that you steer, or the tiller for that matter. But on a, a general, more general sense, the helm is actually the entire area of navigation. And so where the captain is, you, you've all seen the Starship Enterprise. The whole officer crew is on the bridge, right? But then you have, of course, Captain Kirk. He sits in the chair in the middle. And then you've got Sulu and Chekhov in front as navigators. That's the helm. They are at the helm steering this thing. And there's one thing we know is that the helm is where the action happens. In a plane, it's called a cockpit. In a truck, it's called a cab. On a ship, it is called the helm. And the one thing we know about the future is the helm will never have seatbelts. That's what we know. Remember, remember, I love this picture. Every time you watch Star Trek and they go through a meteor shower and they all go flying and they have this dramatic falling from side to side to side. And like the quip says, seatbelts and airbags apparently lost technologies. And the other thing we know about what's going to happen in 500 years from now from Star Trek is that the COVID coronavirus will still be around. Yeah, that's what, that was what we found out. Check this out. Bones, how long will COVID-19 last? Dang it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a politician. <laughs> 
<laughs> it doesn't feel like it's ever going to end. And I love the next one. This is my favorite. McCoy says, here's the latest. It's safe and effective. He's getting his vaccine. Will I still have to mask up? I'm afraid so, Jim. Forever. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like that, right? As you're all sitting there with masks on. And so anyway, that's a bit of a sense of what, what the helm is. And the helm is this place from which we steer and which we navigate. And one of the things we need to discover how to do is how do we navigate in life? How do we move through life as Christians, as believers? How do we move? Jesus said, come and follow me. And so we have to follow him. But that becomes a difficult task. And so today we're going to discover how to do that. See, here's, when it comes to boating, here's the thing. And you probably know this. If it's calm waters and you're in open water, anybody can steer a boat. Steering a boat is not hard. A child can steer a boat. In fact, I started driving a boat when I was 11 years old. You can get a boater's license as a child because basically anybody can steer a boat. I've been boating for over 50 years. The hard part is not steering the boat. The hard part is navigating. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a little illustration with me. And uh, like I said, I've been boating my whole life, over 50 years, and grew up on Lake of the Woods in Ontario. And uh, what I brought with me is a navigational chart of Lake of the Woods. Now, this is not a map. It's not called a map. It's called a chart. And there's a big difference between the two. I'm just going to open it up so you can have a look at it, because this is how we used to navigate years ago on Lake of the Woods. You'd be driving along in your boat going along, you got wind in your face, and you're holding up this giant chart like this, and it's blowing in the wind like this, and you're trying to figure where, out where you are. And even though Lake of the Woods is one of the most beautiful and majestic lakes, I think, in the entire world, it's also one of the most treacherous. And the reason being is this. It is 165 miles of shoreline, 14,552 islands, and tens of thousands of unmarked reefs. And so I'm going to put this away and throw it up on the screen instead because that'll be a little easier for you to see. And so there's a part of the chart from Whitefish Bay in particular. And you can see all those little numbers there. Those are all depth sounding. Somebody has gone to a great deal of trouble to survey the bottom. Here's the thing. They're kind of approximations, so you have to be careful. And here's why it's so difficult. The only boys that are on the lake are the ones that are on the main routes. Those are those red lines. And so they have, they have boys. Everywhere else has no boys, but there's still rocks everywhere. And here's the challenge when navigating. So you're driving along. You've got that big chart flopping around before the days of GPS, that big chart flopping around in the wind like this. You have to figure out where you are in reference to that chart. Because once you get down the lake a little bit and there's no more cottages left, guess what? Every one of those 14,000 islands looks the same. It just looks like an island. You've got to figure out where you are. Not only that, you have to figure out what direction you're going. Are you going north, east, south, or west? But here's the hardest part. You have to know whether you're going upstream or downstream. Because that'll determine what side of the boy you're going on. So if you're going downstream, for example, you go on the right or the red, the left or the green. But if you're going upstream, it's exactly the opposite. The problem is you can do a very, very subtle turn around an island. and All of a sudden, you've gone from downstream to upstream, and you don't know you've changed directions. Now the boys are in reverse. You go on what you think is the proper side of the boy, and you end up hitting the rock, which is exactly where it is. And so that's why it becomes such a treacherous and a difficult place to boat. And so people love to boat there because it's so pretty, but like I said... There's damage that happens. This is where you want to be in the marine repair business, let me tell you. 
Now, in our particular place, we have several reefs off from our place that we can see. They're unmarked. They're just barely under the water. We have one in particular that once a week, someone hits it. And there are three sounds when a boat hits a rock. And here's the three sounds. The first one is bang! And they've whacked it with their boat at any given speed. And then the drive jumps up out of the water like this, and you hear, because now it's spinning freely out of the water. Then you hear the third sound, which is the captain or pilot of that boat swearing his ruddy head off at the rock. I have heard and learned more swear words by watching these guys. And I feel so badly for them. I mean, their vacation just ended in that moment because that boat is wrecked and it's going to take weeks to get fixed. And they're swearing at the rock like it's the rock's fault. You know what? The rocks don't move. They're always, always there. And here's the principle of the rock. If you have a fight between a bedrock and a boat, who wins? The rock always wins. Rock, paper, boat, always rock wins. <laughs> That's the deal. And it's funny because when you do hit a rock, you, 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 you're just so surprised and so shocked. And it's like this guy here. I love this one. I swear... I was minding my own business, and bam, the rock jumped out in front of me. And that's exactly what it feels like. There are only two types of boaters on Lake of the Woods, and this is what type they are. Number one, someone who's hit a rock. Number two, someone who's going to hit a rock. No one ever dodges this bullet. Eventually, you're going to hit a rock. I've been boating, like I said, for over 50 years. Probably a dozen times I've hit a rock and, you know, managed not to ruin a boat. But I'll tell you this, every single time, It was my fault, not the rock. And every single time it was because I wasn't paying attention. And I should have known better. And so that is a little navigational tip for us that we have to be paying attention. And today we're going to discover how do we navigate in this thing called life? Because Paul said, he actually uses this metaphor. He says, many of them were shipwrecked in their faith. And I don't want you shipwrecked in your faith. And I want to help you to navigate the waters of life that are before you. So here's where we are. We are in John chapter 21. I'll set the story up. Jesus has died. He's risen again. He's appeared to his disciples. He's just about to leave, never to return. Well, he will eventually, but he hasn't been back yet. And he's talking specifically to Peter. So this is what it says. John chapter 21, verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So what is going on in this story is this. He says, you know, Peter, when you were younger, you just did whatever you wanted. You just went wherever you wanted, did whatever you wanted, walked wherever you wanted. But when you follow me, because that's what he's asking him to do, when you follow me, you're going to go where you don't want to go, and someone's going to lead you, and you're going to stretch out your hands. And it says he was talking about the way he would die. And here's what we know from church history, that Peter was crucified in Rome. He literally stretched out his hands as someone led him to the cross. And not wanting to be crucified like his Lord, he was crucified upside down, tradition tells us. But the point was, he went to his death following in Jesus' footsteps. Now, in a broader sense, that's the more specific understanding of this. But in the broader sense, it's this. 
When we were younger, before we knew Christ, you know what? We just did what we wanted to do. Went where we wanted to do, said what we wanted to do, did what we wanted to do, and we just lived our own life. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to figure out how to obey him and how he can lead you and take you on this journey and figure out how you're going to get where you're going to go. And the challenge for that is this, is that we need that navigational chart, and we have it. And here's the navigational chart. You've all seen this. It's called the Holy Bible. And within this Bible is everything you need. Every promise in here and everything that pertains to life and godliness is within this Bible. But here's the challenge. I'm pretty sure as I showed you those navigational charts, you were thinking to yourself, Pastor Mark, that seems complicated. That seems difficult. You know why it seems difficult? Because it is. That's why. And you know what? The Bible is exactly the same. I mean, that's our navigational chart, but to be honest, it's difficult. It's challenging. Even the Bible says it's challenging. Even the Bible says that Paul wrote some things which were difficult to understand. But here's what Jesus did, which made the difference, is he gave us a little tool, a navigational tool. Do you remember what he said to his disciples? He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. He says, come follow me. And then he says, it's to your advantage that I actually go away. Because if I go away, I will send you the helper. I will send you the helper, which we know was a reference to the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you navigate in life. And he is going to teach you and lead you into all things which I have taught you. And so we have this navigational aid called the Holy Spirit. And if I was going to use common everyday vernacular, you know what that is? It's our GPS. Everyone in this room knows that the GPS uh, revolutionized navigation. Would you agree with that? I mean, absolutely did. The GPS, of course, is Global Position Satellite. There's over 30 satellites orbiting the Earth, 22,000 kilometers uh, in the atmosphere, sending down signals. It was originally developed for the military, so they would know their positions on the battlefield. But now every single one of you has a GPS and is connected to that on your phone. And if you have a new car... I mean, does it get any easier than this? If you have a new car, it actually tells you where to go. And you're, how many of your, 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 phone, your car talks to you? Your car talk to you? I'm going to tell you where to go. In 200 meters, turn left. And I, and I love it. And you can set the voice. You can have a man's voice. You can have a woman's voice. I chose a woman voice because I'm used to women telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and so, so, so anyway, it, it tells you what to do. And one of the funniest offices, do you know the office with Michael Scott? One of the funniest ones I ever saw was when he went rented a car in another city. And he got the GPS because he didn't know how to navigate around the city. And uh, he did exactly, how many of you remember this episode? He did exactly what, what the GPS told him to do. It said, turn right now. And he turned into a lake. Do you remember that? Here's the pictures from it. And he says, the machine knows. Stop yelling at me, says to Dwight. Dwight says, there's no road here. And they drove right into the lake. And then the GPS speaks and says, make a U-turn if possible. <laughs> and, and I know you're laughing at that. But I know every single one of you has done something like this. How many of you, the, the phone said to turn or the GPS said to turn and you went into a parking lot or a lane or a cornfield? You, you've, all, you've all done this. Don't tell me you haven't done this. We've all done this. So the challenge is, how do we, how do we get the GPS and the navigational chart? How do we get it all working together? That's the significant key. 
And I, I showed you that chart of Lake of the Woods. Today, because of GPS technology, I have that exact chart on my phone. It is so easy now. And I have the little arrow shows me exactly where I am on the lake. It shows me exactly what side of the buoy I'm on. I can zoom in and get close. I can see the depth finding. It has made it so much easier. It's unbelievable. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, which is difficult for us to understand and use as a guide for our life. And it makes it all simple and operational in our own lives. Now, I have a little story I want to tell you before I jump into this that will kind of set this up. One of the great prayer warriors and writers on prayer was a preacher by the name of F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer was crossing on a ferry at night, the Irish Channel. And they were approaching a Holyhead Harbor, and it was pitch black night. There was no stars. There was no moon. There was no light. It was just absolutely pitch dark. And he went to the captain, and he said, how are you going to know when you are aimed at the, the, the entrance of the harbor. And so the captain said to Meyer, he said, do, do you see those three lights up ahead in the distance? And he said, I do. He says, all I have to do is get those three lights to line up one in front of the other. And when I get those three lights lined up, then I know I am aimed directly at the mouth of the harbor. And so what I'm going to be doing today for you is I'm going to be giving you three lights or three coordinates and I'm going to use the GPS metaphor or, uh, you know, uh, analogy or acronym. And so I'm going to throw it up on the screen. And this is God's positioning system. And the G stands for God nudged. The P stands for peace in your heart. The S stands for scrutiny of others. Now, we're also doing this in small groups. And in the small groups, we're, we're using another three for this. And that's because this isn't an exhaustive list. And we want to give you as many spiritual disciplines as we can to help you navigate in your life. But for my purposes today, we're going to go through these three. G, P, S. And the first one stands for God nudged. And what I mean by that is that's when the Holy Spirit nudges us. And if you're waiting for the audible voice of God, you're going to have a long wait. And if you do hear the audible voice of God, you know what? He's probably mad at you. Because that's how often the audible voice of God is heard by people, usually when he's mad at them, and then he speaks up. The rest of the time, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit nudges us. He gives us this inner impulse. And as you look through Scripture, you discover that the God, way God nudges is very subtle and gentle. For example, you look at Elijah, he heard the still, small voice of God. You look at Daniel, Daniel saw visions. We're going to look at Peter for a moment here. And Peter, one of the ways he heard from God was in dreams. Or something like that. I'm going to tell this story and you determine whether it was a dream or not. So it's Acts chapter 10. We have Peter, the one that that Jesus had told, I want you to follow me. And now we're going to see whether he was able to do that or not. So it's in Acts chapter 10, he's in the city of Joppa. And he goes up to the rooftop. They had these flat roofs with staircases up there. And he went up to the rooftop to pray. And when he got up there, this cracks me up. When he got up there, he was distracted because he was hungry. How many of you ever had that happen to you? You you went to pray and now you're a little hungry. And maybe I shouldn't pray in an empty stomach. Maybe I should really go have something to eat first. Maybe I'll pray better if I'm nice and full and satiated. So he's having this thing about now he feels like he needs to eat. And then what happens, as far as I can tell from reading this story, it says he fell into a trance. You know what I think happened? I think he fell asleep. 
he went up to pray, and instead of praying, he was hungry, he was sleepy, he fell asleep. We know he's no stranger to that. He fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was supposed to be praying. So now he's hungry and sleepy, and he has this vision. Let's call it a dream, because if you're thinking about food when you go to bed, what are you going to dream about? Food. So, so he goes into this trance, dream, whatever it is. He sees a vision. Remember, none of this is happening in real life. It's all in a dream-like state. And he sees a vision of this great sheet dropped down in front of him. And on this sheet, there's all these creepy, crawly animals. All of these creatures, these, these you know, insects and these you know, reptiles and different animals that were forbidden food to the Levitical law. And he hears the voice of God, again, not audibly, it's in the dream. And the voice of God says to him, arise, kill, and eat. And Paul says, God forbid, I won't eat of those things. I won't do, do it. I will not eat that which is unclean. And he says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. That's what he says. And of course, so many people have preached on this message and say, see, we're allowed to eat pork now. That's what this is all about. It's all about the fact that Peter was supposed to run off to Wendy's and have the double baconator. That's what this is all about. And I think, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about food? It has nothing to do with food. Who knows what this vision was about? Who knows? It was about the Gentiles. It was about the gospel going to the Gentiles. You go read the story in context. It is so abundantly clear. It's not about food. Your dreams are rarely about what they're really about. They're always metaphorical about something else. So he has this message from God. It's Acts chapter 10. They had been given a mission to go and preach the gospel to all nations, all people, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and they had not gone to the Gentiles. It's already Acts chapter 10. Some 10, 12 years into the mission, and they hadn't gone there yet. And so he speaks to them and gives them this vision, this God nudging, and says, I want you to understand that I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, that's playing out. There's another scenario happening over in Caesarea. There is a, a Gentile, a centurion by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius has a, his own vision. And God tells him there's a man in Joppa that's going to help him come to Christ. He doesn't know that that's what he needs to do, but he's trying to find God. So he sends two servants off to Joppa. When these two servants find Peter, Peter's already prepared because he showed him the vision telling him to go to the Gentiles. He goes to the house of the Gentiles, Cornelius' house, and Cornelius and his entire household all come to Christ. And in the first moment of history, the first Gentiles became Christians. And of course, as they say, the rest is history. And every single one of you in this room are a product of that first Gentile coming to Christ. Because what happened was Peter obeyed the leading and the nudging of the Holy Spirit to go to the Gentiles. I want you to think about this for a moment. Because if Peter hadn't been able to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit... What would he have been? He would have been an anonymous fisherman from the Sea of Galilee. He wouldn't even be a footnote in history. He would be nothing more than, than he would die, and a generation later he'd be completely forgotten. But instead he has gone down in history as one of the most important figures of all time. Why? Because he obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit and discovered God's will, and he went on the adventure of a lifetime. 
And see, here's what I'm here to tell you is that what God does is he just comes out of the blue. Oftentimes, Peter was not praying about that. He was not expecting this. He had forgotten about the Great Commission and going to the world. But God nudged him and pushed him kind of out of the blue. And that's what God does with your life. He takes you on this journey by speaking and nudging you. And if you'll obey it, there's no telling what wonderful and great things God will do for your life. So let me give you an autobiographical example of this. Uh, obviously from my own life, if it's autobiographical. And so back in 1996, uh, so that's quite a while ago, we were meeting in a building here. We had about 500 people. We were meeting in Trinity Television. Not even that, more like 200 people is all we had in our congregation. We were meeting in Trinity Television building on Chevrolet Boulevard. And some of you remember that. They were the ones that produced It's a New Day television program. The hosts were were Willard and Betty Teason. Some of you remember them. They were on TV for years and years and years. We were meeting right in their building. We were good friends of theirs. We rented their building, their space. We hosted our little church of a couple hundred people. And they were right in the midst of a big project. And they were going to go and trying to take uh, Christian television to a 24-hour nationwide station. This was their mission. And one night, I have a dream. Like Peter, I have this dream and I see this picture. And I know what the picture is about for some reason, for whatever reason, it was about TV ministry, which was not something I was thinking about, but I did, you know, meet in a TV studio, so I kind of understood this. And I saw these streetlights. And the streetlights were red light, yellow light, green light, and I saw a blinking yellow. Who knows what a blinking yellow means? Proceed with caution. It means proceed with caution. We, We know what these lights mean. Uh, Red means what? Stop. Green means what? Go. Yellow means go very, very fast, right? (laughs) Unless, of course, it's a blinking yellow, which we know a blinking yellow means proceed with caution. So I have this crazy dream all about television ministry, all about these three lights, and I see the blinking yellow. I wake up and I'm thinking, proceed with caution, proceed with caution, television ministry. And I thought, This word could only be, this dream could only be for Willard Teeson. He's the only one I know who's in the television ministry. So I phoned up Willard. He was my landlord. I phoned up Willard, uh, took him for lunch. We hadn't met for quite a while. And then I said, hey, I had this dream about you. And I tell him this dream. And I tell him it's for him. And I tell him he's supposed to proceed with caution. And I'm thinking he's going to go, oh, Mark, that's just exactly what I needed to hear. Instead, he said, yeah, okay, well, that's interesting. It doesn't really seem to mean anything to me, but thanks anyway. And so I'm driving back to the office, and I'm kind of ticked. I'm thinking, I go to all this trouble of having a dream about him. I go to all this trouble of taking him for lunch and paying for it, and and, and he won't even listen to my dream. And just then, I heard this still, small voice. was not an audible voice. I don't know where it came from, but here's what it said. It said, who said the dream was for him? Uh Uh-uh. And I'm thinking, I'm not very bright, right? And I'm going, well, if it's not for him, who's it for? <laughs> That's what's going through my, my, my head. Eh? And so I'm, I'm having this conversation with the Lord, and I'm thinking, well, if it's not for him, who could it be for? And to which the still small voice said, for you, dummy, for you. I can't remember if he called me dummy, but I'm pretty sure he must have, because <laughs> I responded to that. And so all of a sudden, I, the dream is for me. 
I'm supposed to go into television ministry and proceed with caution. How could I go into television ministry? I mean, never mind the fact that our church was in a television studio. Never mind that the stage had television lights all around it. Never mind that in the next room, there were television cameras on very long cords that could come into that room. And in the room after that was a production studio. Never mind that we had three or four people in our congregation that were actually camera operators. And my good friend and member of the church, Ernie Nathaniel, was in the television and video production business. How could we ever do this? And then I thought, this has been in front of my face the whole time and never crossed my mind until God gave me a dream for somebody else. (laughs) You all know where this is going. So I went and spoke to Willard again. I said, I think that dream was for me. And so we had this conversation. He rented us the television cameras and he rented us the light. And we hired Ernie and Ernie started producing. We had all of these these people. And then we had to get a station. What were we going to do? And in a matter of about three, four weeks, we had this whole thing put together and we were on air. And we drove out. Ernie and I drove out to Portugal Prairie. There was a little country station called MTN. How many of you remember that? Then it became a channel, and then it became City TVs is what it was. But anyways, a little independent in Portsmouth Prairie. I knew the owner of the station. We drove out there. We pitched the idea as this. We didn't tell him he needed religious content. We said, we have a great idea for some Canadian content for you. He bought into the idea, 200 bucks a week. We went on air. It was super cheap. And all of a sudden, we're on television just like that. And I always remembered what God said. He said, proceed with Caution, proceed with caution. So I knew that was an key, a key and important point of this. And so here's the decision we made, and this was the commitment we made to the congregation, that we would never continue on in this if the money wasn't there. And if the money didn't come in, if we didn't have money for airtime, if we didn't have money for production, we weren't going to do it. And what happened was God supernaturally kept on providing money and we just added one station after another station after another station and it was only a matter of a few years and we were on television right across Canada in every major city. Today, 25 years later, we are still on television and we are the number one viewed religious program in all of Canada. And the crazy thing about that story is it was never an ambition of mine. It was God who had nudged us into that. And because we obeyed that, then the rest is what he makes happen. So the first thing, the big thing, obviously, is to be God nudged. The second thing, the P stands for the peace in your heart. Now, let me just show you a quick verse here. It's in Colossians chapter 3, and this is what it says. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So he says, the way you get direction, one of the ways, is you let the peace of God rule, and the word rule there, literally translated, is the word umpire. Anybody that knows baseball, what does the umpire do? He he, he makes the call, right? He, He says it's in, it's out, it's right, it's wrong, right? And he says here that the peace of God is a key to us understanding And having something rule and confirm what we're going to do in life. And let me just give you the short version of this. I've discovered that any time you are making a major decision in life, if you don't have peace about it, don't do it. If you can't get peace about it, don't do it. If you're anxious and nervous and upset and got all this anxiety going on, don't do it. It's not worth it. And I'm talking about major decisions. I'm not talking about whether you should have the quesadilla or pizza for lunch. Who cares? Have whatever you like. 
But if you're making a major decision in life, if you're trying to find the direction of God in your life, you want to get that peace. I, I remember one time we were uh, hunting for a car. My son was hunting for a car, and we went and looked at this car, and he liked the car, and the price was right, and everything was right. But I had this rattle underneath. And I said to him, eh, it might be just a heat shield or something rattling under there. It didn't seem like a big deal to me. Anyway, he had no peace about it. He said, no, Pop, I got no peace about that, buying this car. Just something seems not right, so I'm not going to buy it. So he passed on. The next day, the owner called him and said he took it into the shop and got it checked. The transmission was gone, 2700 bucks. it was going to cost. He dodged that bullet because he decided to let the peace of God rule and be the umpire in his life. So here's a bigger story, because the big decision is in our life, we better have peace about it. And one of the bigger stories, of course, is this building. This is a big, this is a big story, this building, right? I mean, when we were meeting on Pamina Highway, we had our own building. We were now in quadruple services. We had grown to 500 people. We didn't fit in our building anymore. We were looking for a new building, and we had to figure out where to go. And we were praying about it, and during this prayer time, someone said this to me. They said, Mark, the next building you guys find, you're going to think it's too big. And I went, right, I'm going to think it's too big. I mean, do you even know me? And, and you know, I'm all full of bravado and right, and full of faith, right? And uh, so I'm thinking, that's ridiculous. What building would I possibly see that we, I would think was too big? So then the real estate agent showed us this building. And uh, it was a big deal. It was, it was listed for $4 million. We ended up paying almost $3 million for it. And we got to this building, and we looked at the offices first, and I went, wow, this is great. These are beautiful offices, so we can make this work. Then we walked into this room. And this room is 20,000 square feet, and we walked into this room. It was all one room back then. It didn't look like this, but it was still one room. And I remember walking in here, and I went, perfect. This room is perfect for us to hold church services in. And then on the other side of this wall, this wall has always been there. On the other side of this wall, there's another room, or was. Now, you all know what it looks like now. It's a bunch of different parts of the facility. Back, back then, it was one room. It was 150,000 square feet. One room over three acres. And so I walked through the door over there, and I looked at this room that I could barely see the other end, and out of my mouth came these words, it's too big. Those words came out of my mouth. It's, it's too big. And I remember when those words came out of my mouth. And I thought, I just said it. I just said it's too big. And in that moment, in that moment, I knew it was the right building. Because I, he, had been, he told me that I was going to say it's too big. And all of a sudden, this piece. And I'll tell you, I needed peace to move into this project. The building was $3 million. We need variances. We need building permits. We need contractors. It was going to cost us who knows how much to renovate it. It was a huge, huge, huge project that there was no way in God's green earth we could possibly do this unless God was in it. Here we are in this fabulous facility. Here, here's one of the reasons why I, you could have been nervous about this. We had to redo our roof last year. How many remember that the roof always leaked? Whenever it rained, the roof leaked. You'd be sitting there beside a garbage can, and water would be dripping in it. And we, I'd be preaching away. Nobody even noticed. It leaked the whole time we owned it. There were leaks all over the whole building. We finally had the roof fixed last year. You know how much it cost? It cost $2 million. This is why you should be afraid of a building this big. But we weren't afraid because God had given us peace in our heart. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the, so the first thing, the, the G stands for God nudge, the P stands for peace in your heart, and the last and the final thing is the S, and the S stands for the scrutiny of others. Now, again, I'm going to read you a little verse. This is out of the Proverbs, and uh, it's Proverbs uh, 15, 22. Listen careful. It says, without counsel, plans go awry, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. And one of the biggest mistakes you can make is not submit your plans for your life, your big plans for your life to others, to the scrutiny of others, to help them help you navigate your way. And here's the simple principle I'm going to give you on this. Anything that is of God will stand up to the scrutiny of others. And when I say others, I don't mean any random people. I mean people you know, people you respect, people you trust. And if it's of God, I'm telling you, it'll stand up to the scrutiny of others. And you don't have to march off to your own drummer doing your own thing. Because it says here, without counsel, a man's plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So let me just close one final story on this point. So uh, a number of years ago, I had a, had a friend in the city. He was a pastor in the city. He'd been pastoring for seven years. And after seven years, he was just so discouraged. Fighting with the board, fighting with people, fighting with staff, and challenges in ministry. And it's n- never an easy thing, ministry. And he had decided he was going to resign the church and he was going to leave the city. And so me and another friend, another pastor, we said, can we come over and pray for you and pray with you? And we don't think you should just be making this decision by yourself. And he said, yes, please come, come. So we we went and we visited his church and we went and sat in his office with him. And he told us what his plans were. And it all made sense on paper that he should probably leave. And the two of us prayed for him. And while we prayed for him, we said, you know, we think you're making a mistake. And we think that God has called you here to this city. And even though you've gone through a difficult time, you're about to break through. And we believe your best and your finest days are yet ahead. And he listened to us, challenge him on that. And he said, if you care this much to come down to my office and tell me I need to stay in the city, then maybe I need to stay in this city. And I'm going to stay because I believe and trust you guys. That's what he said. That was a big decision and a bold decision to put it in the hands of other people. But he did. That was 13 years ago. Do you know that in the last 13 years, he's now been in that church 20 years. In the last 13 years, that church has been more successful than any other time in its history. Well, not so much the last two years, <laughs> like anybody else. But the 11 years before that, the church has boomed and prospered. And he's going to end up doing his whole career in this church. Why? Because he listened to the advice and the counsel of others. If you want to go on the adventure of a lifetime, It's not that complicated. He has given us this navigational chart called the Word of God. But he's also given us the Holy Spirit that will lead us into all things that God has called us to do. The G stands for God nudge. The P, the peace of God in our heart. The S, the scrutiny of others. And if we can figure that out, we are on this incredible journey. And he has called you to the trip of a lifetime because every ship has a helm. Let's stand together. All right, we're going to do two things here in a moment. I uh, want, want to ask you all to bow your heads, close your, close your eyes for a moment. If you're on line, I want you to just listen carefully for a couple of more moments before you turn off the stream. And if you've never invited Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, you have not yet begun this journey. So we're going to start there. And so there may be some people that need to get on the ship. And we want you on the ship. And you get on the ship by accepting Jesus as your cra- captain. But not only your captain, your Lord and your Savior... And if you've never made that definitive decision, if you've never come to that place where you've invited Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that.
If you're online, there's a little hand that you can just click on that hand and it pops up and you click on that and that, that's how you make that decision. If you're in the room, every head is closed, closed. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around. And if that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. Just take a moment if you're in the room and you need to make that decision. Thank you in the back. Thank you in the side. All right. Okay. All right. Great. Fantastic. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you another question. How many of you think that maybe you could fine-tune the coordinates of your GPS just a little bit? Let me see your hands. How many of you could do better in this navigation thing in life? I bet there's quite a few hands, but I bet we could all have more hands up. And I think we all need some challenges with that. So we're going to pray for these two groups of people, a few that put their hands up in the first part, and the rest of us that will navigate better in life. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus... I make you my captain today, and I'll follow you. You're the leader, I'm the follower. And you died on the cross for my sin. You rose again on the third day, and you forever live to be my Lord. And Lord, I do want to be fully committed follower of Christ. And I need your help. I need you to lead me and to guide me. And I ask that you would help me. Help me to Hear the still small voice. Help me to sense when you are nudging. And when I do hear that, would you give me the peace of God and let it be the umpire in my heart? And Lord, help me to be bold enough to submit my plans to others that they might be established so that I could truly go on this adventure of a lifetime. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.